What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with a right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the You know what? (laughs) It's only game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer. To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Alex Henry, and I'm going to be your host today. I'm with the rookie, Devin Lucas. How you doing, Devin? I'm good. How are you? I'm living life, bro. I'm living large. And our host up here, uh, our sports director, Mr. Jake Murren. How you doing, Jake? Not too bad. Not used to being on this side of the table, but I'm enjoying it. I'm soaking it in and ready to be an analyst instead of the host today. Jake Murren. The only one with a proper first name and last name. Yeah, I'm on with two people that have two first names as their full names. Probably one of the only times those words will be said on SPT. Yeah. yeah. Devin Lucas, Alex yeah. Henry, and Jake Murren. <laughs> so, guys, I have an exciting show planned, but we're going to kick it off talking about our good old alma mater, <laughs> the Akron Zips football team. Good old? Good old. Good old. Okay. Interesting word choice. Yeah. Guys, the Zips played Ohio yesterday, and it was it was an interesting sight at least. Devin, I'll throw it over to you. What takeaways did you have from the Zips game yesterday? Um, I like that DJ Irons threw for over 400 yards. Sure. But I didn't like the, the turnovers that we had on offense. I think, didn't he fumble at one point or throw an interception? Yeah, he lost a fumble and he had an interception. Oh, so he had both. Yep. Oh, even even better. But throwing for over 400 yards is nice, but I don't know. It was the best offensive effort of the season. It's a shame you give up 55 points, though, in the process. Right. Jake? Yeah, we had eight more first downs, nearly five more minutes of possession, and three fewer penalties than the Bobcats, which should be a recipe for a win. Instead, we lost the turnover battle once again, like Devin said. We came out slow and gave up more yards in the game, which is a recipe for disaster. And last week's show, after the loss to Bowling Green, I played some audio from Coach Joe Moorhead after that game, and he was talking about how good this team looks in practices before games. And then we show up on Saturdays, we're slow and sluggish in pregame warm-ups, and then we start slow and sluggish in the actual game itself. And when you look at this game, it was no different. We gave up two touchdowns in each of the first two quarters, and we were battling back the entire time. If you told me going into this game that DJ Irons was going to throw for over 400 yards and that Akron was going to score 34 points, 
I would have said we were going to win that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead, we give up 28 points in the first half to Ohio. We're battling back the entire time. Turnovers don't help, and we end up with a loss. Now, overall, I'll give it to you, Devin. Did you think just before this game that Akron was going to be able to beat Ohio? No, I didn't think they were going to beat it. And it kind of solidified that when, like, one of the first plays you give a 75-yard pass. It just mm-hmm. seems like the Zips this year cannot stay out of the big play. It feels like every week you're just seeing, like, 60-yard passes on you or, like, a big run, like, in the first quarter. And it just it never goes well for the Zips, it seems. Jake, how about you? Did you see Akron winning going into this game? I didn't see us winning. I'm actually not surprised by the result. I expected Ohio to score a lot of points. And I'm happy to see that Akron at least put up a fight, if you can call it that, with scoring 34. And I like what I saw on offense, both the rushing game and the passing game. Again, turnovers don't help. And I agree with what Devin said about giving up those explosive plays because we gave up a 75-yard passing touchdown 12 seconds into the game. Right there and then, we're starting slow, we're giving up points, and we're battling back the whole time. Yeah, I didn't think we'd win either. Offensively, we are starting to get somewhat of a rhythm, even though it's we're usually slow starters. Or sometimes we're really fast starters, get a lucky first couple possessions, and then we can never get that heat back up. Defensively, I mean, these guys can't tackle. These guys can't make a play. They can't – I don't know if they can do anything, honestly, except put a helmet and cleats on and walk out there and <laughs> with a number on their back and say they're a University of Akron football player. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I, I want to ask you guys, who are your studs and duds of this Akron Zips football game? Stud meaning played well, you know, you were happy with their performance, a dud being, what were you doing? Where were you at? Um, I had Irons as a stud, even though he did lose a fumble and throw an interception. I, uh, I like that he was able to throw for over 400 yards, and like you guys were saying, I think the offense is definitely starting to find itself. The defense is like, it feels like they're like miles behind the offense, of course, but the offense definitely is starting to find themselves, I think. For sure. And um, our dud, I think, is Price. He only rushed for 39 yards, though he did have a couple touchdowns, but I don't know. I didn't like they only rushed for 30 yards. I think he could have done a little better. It feels like, because we, we do seem like we are a run-heavy team. Okay, Jake? So I have three studs for the Akron Zips. First, I agree with Devin here, DJ Irons. In the first half, he only had one incompletion, threw for 188 yards. Of course, by the end of the game, threw for 418 yards. Also picked up 23 rushing yards himself. Of course, he had the two turnovers, had a rushing touchdown to go along with it, though. DJ Irons is definitely one of the few stars on this Akron Zips football team. And actually, I have Clyde Price the third as a stud for the Akron Zips. I know he only ran for 39 yards on 14 carries, but he did score three touchdowns on the ground, and he was there when we needed him. When we got to the goal line, we needed to push it in. He was our go-to guy, and Price the third really stepped up for us in that way. Another stud, my favorite player on this Akron Zips team is Shockey Jacques-Louis. 11 catches, 152 yards. He had a great game. And then my dud, the entire defense. The entire defensive unit. I mentioned the fact that we gave up those two touchdowns in each of the first two quarters. Gave up that huge touchdown to start the game. We gave up 27 more points in the second half to make it 55 total. The Bobcats QB only had three three incompletions the entire game. He also threw for over 400 yards with three touchdowns. How are you expecting to win a game when you're entering a fourth quarter down by 28? Yeah, It's not going to happen. The whole defensive unit, they gave up 561 yards, 134 on the ground. Ohio threw for 15.8 yards per pass. 
the Sibs defense is giving up 40.8 points per game in six games this season. You're not going to win football games like that. This defense needs to tighten up, and they are absolutely my dud for this week. Yeah, Jake, you stole one from me. I said that my dud this week was anyone who played defense in that game uh, because none of them should be happy about their performance. And you you hit on a lot of good points. Uh, I mean, you can't give up that many points in a game where your offense is scoring, right? Like, it's very, very, very difficult. Looking at my studs, though, I agree with Irons as well. I mean, he had a great game. I would have liked to see some more passing touchdowns. Um, but overall, you throw for that many yards and only one interception, that's a pretty good game. Uh, I also love Shockey. He put up some great stats as well. And he's he's starting to kind of come back. He, he was really hot in the beginning of the season, kind of fell off past couple games, and then we were kind of able to see more out of him this week. But, guys, I want to ask, what are your predictions for the rest of the Zip season? And we'll get into individual games in a second. But just overall, like, how do you, what do you see the Zips doing? Devin, I'll give it to you. I can see the offense getting better and better, but it's really going to come down to how this defense can do. With that said, maybe one more win the rest of the way if we're lucky, but I don't know if we can even get that. That's just what I've seen. Um, do you want me to go game by game? No, we'll, we'll do that in a second. Jake, right. do you have any just predictions overall how the team's going to look the next month? It's not good, man. I mean, <laughs> two and four is the ceiling, I think, which is obviously not good. Only having one win so far. Of course, that win was our season opener against St. Francis. Have done nothing since. I mean, we're getting somewhere. I think we're developing a little bit. But as Joe Moorhead has said, we're not getting close to breaking open that boulder and becoming a competitive team. Winning is still foreign to this team. I still like that quote that Coach Joe Moorhead said as well. I think two and four is the absolute best this team can do. Yeah, so let's go through these games. Next week, we got Central Michigan. Devin, I'm, can we beat Central Michigan? I think this might be the only game that they can win the rest of the way. <laughs> Because Central Michigan also won in five. Granted, they have played a little bit more competition than Akron has in terms of the MAC. I think they played Ball State last, if I remember right. Um, yeah, they played Ball State. They did lose by one, and Ball State's relatively decent for a MAC school. But I think this is going to be the only chance that Akron's going to have. Because you look at the the rest of the way, they got to play um, Kent. They're not going to be. I don't think they're going to beat Kent. I think Kent's going to beat them by. I think it's going to be like a three touchdown game or worse. Um, Miami, I don't see them beating Miami either. Though it is here, I still don't see them beating Miami. Um, so I have that down as a loss. Um, Eastern Michigan, I don't think they're going to beat them. And Buffalo, I thought they could beat Buffalo. I did say this a couple weeks ago that I thought they could. But then I saw how Buffalo's last few games have went. And I I don't think they're going to beat Buffalo. And they finished the season against Eastern Illinois. And or Northern Illinois, sorry. Um, and I don't think they're going to beat them. So I have the Zips winning one more game, and it's next Saturday. Interesting. Jake, I guess you can run through your predictions as well for these next few games. Um, only one for Central Michigan. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Jake. So for Central Michigan... You know, the, the Chippewas narrowly lost to Ball State yesterday, 17-16. to 16. They've lost three in a row where they've only scored 16 points per game in that span and are 0-2 in conference play. I wouldn't be surprised if the Zips lose, 
but I can see them at least taking this game to the final possession, hopefully for a win. So I do have the Zips picking up a win next Saturday. I'll be in attendance at home at InfoCision Stadium, picking up just our second win of the season against Kent State. Not really much to add to what Devin said. I think this is a guaranteed loss. We They were able to compete with number two, Georgia, whereas the Zips were crushed against Tennessee and Michigan State. While they're one and two in their last three games, Kent State are, you know, they've kept them all close. So I expect the Golden Flashes to take home the wagon wheel again and beat the Zips. Then Miami of Ohio, they're three and three, and they actually beat Kent State 27 to 24 yesterday. Their defense is really solid. Their QB, Colin Schley, is talented, and they have three guys in the backfield that can run the ball well. So I have that up as a loss. Eastern Michigan, they're four and two. I have that as a loss. They're coming off back to back wins after yesterday's 45 to 23 win over Western Michigan. The Eagles are surprising a lot of people in the MAC this year. They have momentum, they're winning games, unlike the Zips. Buffalo, I have that as a loss. They're three and three. They beat Bowling Green thirty-eight to seven yesterday. A team that beat us last week. They're undefeated in conference play after starting the year zero and three. And perhaps the biggest surprise in the MAC so far is Buffalo, as yeah. they've dominated conference play. Northern Illinois, though, I have is picking up a win to end the year. They were initially expected to win the West in the MAC at the beginning of the season. They lost by twenty to Toledo yesterday and like Akron they've lost five straight games so as of right now this is one of the only winnable games that I see for the Zips so Northern Illinois and Central Michigan next week I think those are our potential two wins other than that I see a lot of L's for the Zips yeah I mean I agree with you both when it comes to Central Michigan that's a game that we can win uh I'm gonna pick them to lose though I just I I think right now our defense has to make a change and I don't think one week is enough time for the defense to be able to make a change. And hopefully they work on stuff this week, work on stuff, well, every week really, <laughs> but get get an idea of what they need to do and then actually be able to utilize that going into the rest of the season. Looking at Kent State, guys, we're, we're in, I don't know if we're ever getting that wagon wheel back. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be in shambles against Kent State. And something you just said, I mean, we know the weaknesses of this team. Mm-hmm. And we can work on it all we want, but when it comes to executing on the field on Saturdays, that's just not been proven for the Zip so far. Yeah, 100%. And it's 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 exactly like the NFL in a sense of you have talent that you have right now, and you can only do so much with that talent until the offseason. We can only try to put in better defensive schemes and make guys want to play harder, like Coach said. But overall... We can't really start recruiting too hard or at least recruit anybody that's going to be able to play until the season's over. So Right. Plus, I trust the schemes that he's that the coaches are putting out there, yeah. too. We all trust Coach Joe Moorhead. Yeah. We like him at the head of the table, but without the players, without the execution on the field, they can only do so much. No, I 100% agree. And did we know the last time that we beat Kent State? Anybody, anybody know that? It's been a while. Goes to show. Goes to show, right? So I have us losing versus Kent State as well. Miami, which we usually can get a win versus Miami. They've been looking really good this season. I think we get another loss versus Miami. Another loss versus Eastern Michigan. And then, Jake, you were talking about Buffalo, man. Buffalo's been looking pretty solid. And Buffalo's another team I usually like to say that the Zips can beat. However, just the way that they've looked so far this season, I can't say that I think they beat Buffalo. But, Jake, I am going to agree with you. I think we can get a win over Northern Illinois. And not necessarily because 
they are pretty bad because they are, I'd say, a little better than us, but not by much. But because I'm hoping that by the time we get to that Northern Illinois game, that we got something figured out. Devin, you're giving me a look. What do you, I, what do you think? I don't think I agree with that because this is a Northern Illinois team that nearly beat Kentucky um, a couple weeks ago. I think it was only like an eight-point game. Um, and they've also they looked, and they've played well against Ball State. I think it went to like two overtimes. And now they did lose to Toledo by 20. But Toledo's a relatively decent team for the MAC. I, I don't think so. I think it's going to come down to what we see the next few weeks out of Northern Illinois, but I think they're, sure. I think they're a lot better than their record says. I don't think they're just 1-5. I think they're a little bit better than what their record states. Yeah, I just think they've, you know, they've lost five games in a row, just like the Zips have. So right mm-hmm. now, I'm confident in saying that could be a winnable game. I mean, the Zips aren't great by any means right. either, so I could see the Zips losing. But just looking at the record and the schedule and the teams that that uh, Northern Illinois has played, I think that could be a win. And you asked when the last time Akron beat Kent State in football. Yes. It was in 2018 when Akron won in overtime 24-3. to Not too long ago. Yeah, it's not too bad. I think I was maybe a freshman high school. Oh, man. Yeah, Kent State has won three straight times. But before that, I mean, Akron had a solid four-game winning streak against Kent. And then Kent State took over. They've won the past three. Pretty dominantly too, twenty six to three, sixty nine to thirty five, and last year thirty eight to zero. That's interesting. I want to ask you guys, and Jake, I kind of already know your answer, and that's why I kind of want to talk about this. Were you expecting the Zips to play the way that they have this season um, before the season started, uh, Devin? I see you shaking your head. What do you think? I I thought they were going to look a lot better than they did last year. And while the offense looks better, I think the defense looks identical to last year's team. And I'm a little disappointed in that. I think I had the Zips winning, I think, three or four games going into. So I still didn't think they were going to win a lot. But I didn't think they were going to be a one or to two win team again. Right. Jake, did you, did you see this Indian? Or, whoa, Indians. That's not even a thing. <laughs> 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 this Zips team playing the way that they would uh, before the season? You know, it, it's a hard question to answer because this team has looked so clunky so far. I definitely expected the defense to look a lot better than mm-hmm. they have. Sure. And that's just been a glaring weakness. I'm not surprised by the offensive line struggles. I am pleasantly surprised by how well the offense has, blank, has been playing, especially DJ Irons, but the defense, they're all out of whack. And I guess they've kind of underperformed what I was expecting because I thought they were going to be able to beat Bowling Green. And Ohio coming into the season, I thought we were going to beat Ohio too. So I expected two more wins than we have right now. We're sitting at 1-5 and five in the MAC, and that's definitely not a great place to be in. Yeah, I got I to gotta blame for the Akron Zips football team. I got to blame Pat. Uh, Pat, okay. if you're listening, dude, you gave <laughs> me so much false hope and, and so much optimism about this team, about who we're bringing in, about Coach Moorhead, which, by the way, I'm still optimistic on Moorhead. Now, at what point do you start blaming coaching for losses, losing? Well, I'll ask that question, Devin. At what point do you start blaming Moorhead? Do you even blame him this season if we lose every game? I don't know if we blame him this season, but I do think the coaching hasn't necessarily been the greatest. There's been a lot of undisciplined penalties by the Zips this season coming in. There's a lot of unsportsmanlike calls, a lot of stuff like that. But I don't know if we can necessarily 
say it's all on Moorhead this season, due to, as you were saying, the recruiting, you got to kind of recruit more. And I don't necessarily know if this is all necessarily his team and his recruiting sure. this season. Jake? Yeah, I mean, how how much do you have to do, go through a coaching turmoil? Like, replacing a coach after every single year or every two years, right. you're not doing anything for your program by doing that. I think Coach Joe Moorhead has their credentials. He's hired for a reason. I think we just need to give it time. I mean, if we go winless the rest of the year, one, I guess I won't really be surprised by that. And two, I really don't think any of that blame should go towards Coach Joe Moorhead. I know that we're a little undisciplined. I know that our weaknesses are obvious and they should be improved on and they're just not. But what? To- how do you blame that on the coaches when really it's the players going out there playing on the field and not playing according to the game plan that these coaches have set up? I think you maybe look at Coach Joe Moorhead late next year, maybe early the following year, and make that decision. Yeah, uh, I mean, Coach Moorhead's the best thing Akron has right now in our football program. And, Devin, I think you really hit the nail on the head. This is not his team necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was in musical theater my junior year, and I got um, casted for my senior year as the role, but then we got a new director. Mm. Nobody really liked that director. However, that director did not cast the musical, right? So I think I think it's pretty important to look at that. I mean, I think we could lose every game without scoring a point by 50, and I wouldn't <laughs> blame it on Moorhead if that's the way the Zips go out this season. But overall, I, I am pretty upset with how they played. And to answer my initial question, this is not at all how I expected them to look. I expected them to be in the positives when it came to winning, and now I don't know if we'll win another game, and we're halfway through the season. So that's that's enough negativity on the Akron Zips football team. Let's throw it over to college football this week, talk about some winners and some losers Devin, I'll give it to you. Who's your winner this week in I have, college football? I have Notre Dame as my winner. They beat number 16 BYU. Yep. And um, going into that, they didn't look that good. I believe they lost to Marshall early in the season, lost to the Ohio State University, which we expected that. Right. But before BYU, they really didn't look good. I don't think they were ranked, but they did beat BYU, and maybe that's an opportunity for Notre Dame to come back. I think they still have to play one more ranked team the rest of the way, and if they can beat them, maybe they can finish ranked this season. And that's my winner. There you go. Jake? So I have two winners for this week of college football. First, the TCU Horned Frogs. They beat 19 Kansas 38-31 to on the road to improve to 5-0. and They are definitely going to move up in the rankings and maybe even get into the top five in two weeks as they host 7th-ranked Oklahoma State next week. And then my second winner for week six of college football, I have Israel Abanacanda. Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. But he's the Pitts running back who tied the ACC single-game touchdown record with six rushing touchdowns in the same game yesterday against Virginia Tech. In 36 carries, this man ran for 320 yards and six touchdowns. An insane week for Israel Abanacanda. There you go. My winner this week has got to be Texas. They beat Oklahoma 49 to nothing, and this is a Texas team that was expected to be better than what they have been this season, and it was pretty nice to see them get a big win over in Oklahoma, who's historically a pretty good school. Devin, I'll throw it over to you. Who is your loser 
or losers this week in college football? Yeah, I have two losers, one of them being the Akron Zips, as of we were course. just talking about, giving so, up 55 go points ahead, so just high. Throw them in there. <laughs> I thought we were done with the Akron Slander. <laughs> oh, I'm, they're still there. All right, so my other loser is Kentucky. They've lost three in a row. They haven't played well. They didn't play well against Northern Illinois a couple weeks ago. They lost 31, or they won 31 to 23, but it was a close game. It kind of came down to it. Um, they did lose to Ole Miss, who is a ranked school, but it was close. So that one, you kind of give them a pass on that. But then they lose 24 to 14 to South Carolina, an unranked school at home. I think Kentucky's going to fall at least 10 places. Maybe they even fall to the top 25. They were number 13 coming into this, that game. Interesting. Jake? Yeah, I have two losers as well. You had Texas as a winner. I have Oklahoma as a loser. The Sooners lost the Red River Showdown to Texas yesterday, 49-0. to The Sooners have now lost three straight to Kansas State, TCU, and now Texas. The Sooners were expected to be good this year. They're absolutely the opposite. And then my second loser for college football is Bowling Green's kicker. I don't know if you guys saw this play, but with a minute left in the first quarter, the Falcons were down 17-0 to Buffalo and going for a 25-yard field goal. They instead ran a fake where the holder overthrew the kicker who fell to the ground scrambling for the ball. The Bulls were the ones who picked it up and took it to the house. The call was reversed. It was called back. But I just felt bad for that kicker for Bowling Green. He's definitely a loser for week six of college football. No, yeah. I had the same loser. I had Texas being my winner, Oklahoma being my loser. Three straight losses for an Oklahoma team that was supposed to be a top 10 school. And that's that's pretty rough. But that is going to do it for college football. When we come back, we'll be talking about the MLB. Going to give our signature player of the week segment talk about playoff baseball and obviously talk about our Cleveland Guardians who have been playing really, really good. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay right here. 88.1 Sports Power Talk. Welcome back to Sports Power Talk. My name is Alex Henry and I'm with Devin Lucas and Jake Maroon. What's going on? Not much, guys. We were talking about some Zips football earlier and let's get away from that let's talk about some baseball first thing i want to talk about is our players of the week i'll just kick it off with you devin who is your mlb player I have, of the week um you suarez he batted over 400 in the wild card series for um seattle as well as driving in two runs in game one and he was just getting on base in uh Game two in the uh, sweep for Seattle against Toronto. And that's my uh, player of the week. Not a bad pick. Jake? Yeah, my player of the week. I always clown on people for picking Guardians players. But I have to pick a Guardians player for player of the week. And that is Oscar Gonzalez. We all know what he did yesterday. Went two for five against the Rays, including the home run that everyone will remember in the 15th inning, a wild card marathon. It was the walk-off that unfortunately came off of Corey Kluber, but regardless, it ended the Rays season and punched our ticket to the ALDS against the Yankees. I'll leave it at that because I know we're going to talk about that more in depth here soon. Yeah, sure. Two great picks. I felt like the obvious player of the week this week, who I picked, is Aaron Judge. I mean, this dude broke a record that I felt like I was hearing about this record every, I don't know, 
two or three minutes that I was on my phone. I saw something about this record, and he was able to hit 62 home runs in the AL, which is the most in AL history. Devin, I want to ask you, what do you what do you think about this record? And I guess to elaborate more so is, what do you think about its true significance? Should it have been talked about in the media as much as it got covered? Um, and I mean, how special do you really think breaking this record is? I think it is really incredible, but being that we do kind of live in an age right now that there seems like there's a lot of home, there's more home run hitters than ever in the sport right now, it feels like. I think it's possible it could get broken in the future, but with that being said, I do think it is a really incredible thing, and I think the media should have covered it as much as it did. Like, you think they should have? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't. I don't know if we're going to see it for a while. I'm, like I said, I, it's possible it could be like broken in five or ten years, but I do still think it's really in- incredible that um, Judge broke that record. Interesting, Jake. What do you think? I mean, we all know that Barry Bonds holds the record of 73 for most in a single season of all time in 2001, but that was in 2001, and we can criticize the media and their coverage of this event all we want. I mean, every day, every 30 minutes, like you said, we were getting notifications about Aaron Judge, he's up to the plate, watch live right now in the app, whatever it might be, and it definitely got old because it's not like he's going to hit a home run every single at-bat, but at the same time, you want to be a part of that history and see him hit that home run in the moment. I didn't see it in the moment. I saw it on social media. I thought it was fine seeing it that way, too. And 62 is a giant number. He does hold the record in the American League now for a single season. And Barry Bonds, we all know the story of Barry Bonds. We all know what happened with that. And 62 home runs, it certainly deserves being celebrated. History was made. And who knows when we'll see that feat get accomplished again. Yeah, it might be a while. History being made was truly incredible. Here's my thing. I was very, very critical of how the media covered it. And, you know, I can't just say I didn't like something without saying how I think it should have been. Steph Curry broke the all-time three-point record this past season. All-time three-point record. Which I think is kind of a bigger, like the equivalent to that in the NBA would be, you know, most three points in the Western Conference, right? And for him, he broke the entire record. How the, how the media covered that is it was like, hey, before every one of Steph Curry's games, watch this game. This might be the one that he breaks it. And when he broke it, it was on Instagram and Twitter for about two days straight. But when I was watching other things, other games, and Steph Curry had the ball, the TV channel didn't switch to Steph Curry shooting the ball. And it, I thought it was very annoying for something that is obviously very significant. And to your point, Jake, might not happen for a long time, but I, I don't know. I was not a fan of how the media covered it. Well, two things with that. I mean, one, it's a little different when you're comparing it to basketball just because basketball – it's a nonstop game. So seeing Steph Curry shoot a shot, that could be on any possession at any given minute. You know, for baseball, it's that one at bat. You know, it, it's very structured. Aaron Judge is going to be at bat for maybe a minute to three minutes, and that's what they're going to show you on TV. And two, it's no secret here on SBT that you're not the biggest baseball fan in the world, Alex. I love baseball. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> I you think sure, I'm the biggest. You sure do love baseball. But 
I mean, if you're a college football viewer and you're watching college football on a Saturday, like last Saturday, and then they were going to split screen and showing Aaron Judge's at bat and using that commentary instead. So I understand as a college football viewer and if you're a fan of those teams that are playing college football on that Saturday, I understand the frustration. But at the same time, you have to realize that history could be made on your television screen at that very moment. And what if nobody cares? What if the people who's on watching didn't care? Then you're going to miss commentary on the football game for maybe three minutes tops. I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't want it to be a trend is what I guess I'm saying is in all sports, if some significant record is going to be broken, I don't want to see this whole split thing so everybody can see it. I think if it really does matter to you, if you can, try to tune in for the game. Yeah. Is, that, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. I think I think it's fair, too. But that's enough of Judge's incredible record that he broke. Let's, let's talk about the Guardians first, and then we can kind of get in to other playoff baseball. Um, let's talk about Friday's win, guys. It was... I was very happy uh, watching the Guardians play on Friday. Devin, I'll give it to you. What were your takeaways from Friday? Um, I think our pitching was outstanding. Beautiful. Yeah, it was... Um, Beer went 7.2. Gave up one run. That was absolutely outstanding. Um, I think we were very fortunate that... Um, I think it was Ahmed Rosario got on before Ramirez got up... Got, went up to the plate because um, I think that if we didn't hit a two-run homer there, I think it could have been a very similar game to yesterday's game where it could have been like upwards of 15 innings. Yeah. Jake, what were your takeaways from Friday? Yeah, I mean, I can't talk about enough good things for Shane Bieber. You know, he won that Cy Young for the AL and was so dominant that season. I mean, there was no chance that hitters were getting anything off of Shane Bieber that year. And this season, I mean, a couple months ago, there were legit conversations of, who's the Guardians' ace going forward? Is it Bieber? Is it McKenzie? Who's the best pitcher in our rotation? And Bieber to come out the way he did in one of the most important starts of his career in the AL wildcard in the postseason and do what he did, it was phenomenal, especially when you consider his first postseason start in 2020 against the Yankees. That year he was electric, and then he goes up against the Yankees, gives up nine hits, seven earned runs, and 4.2 innings of work. So a terrible first postseason start. He makes up for it here against the Rays, and I couldn't talk more good things about Shane Bieber, like I said. Also, it goes without being said, Jose Ramirez, the GOAT of this team, the face of of our franchise went two for four with that monster two-run home run in the sixth inning. Those were the only two runs that the Guardians needed, and that was our third go-ahead home run in a sixth inning or later when trailing in Guardians postseason history. Yeah, I I was very happy about how the Guardians played on Friday. Shane Bieber looked incredible. Shane Bieber looked like a player that if I'm the GM, I will give him as much money as he wants whenever he wants it because that's how well he was able to pitch, and we need players like that who's able to hold down a game when it's a no-score game for so long and just kind of hope that your offense can do something, and I'm going to hold it down on the defensive side of the mound. So, yeah, and, and how about Class A, too? I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but Class yeah. A, man, he went out there for his first four-out save this year. Great relief. The yeah. superstars were there on Friday. Bieber, Ramirez, Classe, all doing what they needed to do to capture a Guardians win. 
No, I 100% agree. And, I mean, it just goes to a point that I kind of want to talk about in the next game, but Guardians pitching overall has really been a savior for this team. With that being said, though, Jose Ramirez looked really good on uh, Friday as well. And I would say the whole team didn't overall look pretty good at being able to get hits, uh, although uh, the Rays were pretty good pitching Friday. But it looked like they really... Not to discredit Shane Bieber, but really we're struggling offensively on Friday. Yeah, I I think part of it is that the Rays going into the postseason, I think they were like two and eight in their last ten games, and they were struggling. And it also could be partially that I I don't know. I think Bieber just pitched outstanding. I think that's I just that's just what it was. Um, I, I I think it was. I don't know. I think their offense. I don't know. I just don't think it was really hittable for the Guardians pitching. Yeah. That was part of it. I definitely give the Guardians pitching rotation more credit in this series than just saying, you know, the Rays had some bad offensive games. I agree. Our pitching was elite in this series. And like Devin said, the Rays were coming in to the wild card already slumping. And the Guardians were literally the, literally the hottest team in baseball going into the wild card. That's why we were favored. We were supposed to win this series. And we did. Yeah, I agree. I think Bieber looked incredible, and I would definitely say Bieber's pitching was more of a factor than Tampa Bay's offense struggling. Uh, Let's talk about yesterday's game, guys. The Guardians took it home. Jake, you're excited. I'll give it to you first. Give me your your recap, your takeaways from yesterday's long, long game. Guys, Jake hinted at it. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but you know I'm going to watch when the Guardians are in the playoffs, and it's the marathon I, I game, man. Di- I didn't leave my chair from 12 o'clock until around 5. Yeah, it was a marathon. <laughs> and Alex, do you want to say what you told me before the show nope. about watching these two games? I'm okay. You don't want to say it? I, I, it was kind of entertaining to watch baseball. The How past, about that? Past couple, past couple <laughs> days. How about that? Alex, I'm proud of you. We're turning you into a baseball fan up here at WZIP. But talking about yesterday's win. I mean, stellar all around, except for our offensive performance, obviously. But, you know, Tristan McKenzie going out there doing his thing. Eight strikeouts and six innings pitched. Only gave up two hits, no earned runs. One walk in between, but he had six straight strikeouts at one point. And I also want to talk about Sam Henches. This dude comes in in relief, in extra innings, Pitches three innings, had six strikeouts, didn't give up a single run. Very impressed by his performance as well. Unfortunately, this game should have been done in nine innings because we had bases loaded with no outs in the sixth inning. Unfortunately, Jose Ramirez struck out, and then my favorite player, Josh Naylor, hit into that double play. And Jose Ramirez, of course, he didn't get a hit in this game, but he did have a great game in defense. He made that insane play in the 12th inning at third base to keep it to 0-0. Zero to zero. And, of course, Oscar Gonzalez with that walk-off home run Beautiful. in the bottom of the 15th. But the pitching staff really, I mean, we pitched 15 innings, only gave up six hits, five walks, zero earned runs, and struck out 20 raised batters. That is a fantastic game for our pitching. Devin? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, yeah, it was definitely a pitching masterpiece for the Guardians, striking out 20. I like how Sam Hentges played, especially because he was good in the bullpen this year, but I don't know if we necessarily saw him for more than, like... I know we saw him for two innings at times, but I was a little worried when he was when he was pitching. 
just because like last year he didn't play well when he pitched multiple innings, and this I was a little worried, and I was also worried that the I think we were just very fortunate that um, Oscar Gonzalez was able to hit that out of there because this game could have went like upwards to I think twenty innings based on how it was going. I think we still had because Kluber was on the mound for them, and he's a very good pitcher. And I think we still had Zach Plesak in the bullpen, and I think he could have also made it go longer. We were very fortunate. The offense did struggle, and it does make me a little bit nervous going into the New York series. Sure. Um, But I think if the pitching can get in order and say how it is, I think we have a shot against New York. Yeah, I I think those are great uh, takeaways. Something I kind of want to talk about uh, besides, you know, Oscar Gonzalez being the absolute man or pitching being absolutely insane. You know, I'll touch on the sixth inning real quick before I get to what I really want to say. I mean, I don't know. As somebody who doesn't watch a lot of baseball, you got all the guys on bases, no strikes. You're you're 2-0, and you can't finish, and you're Jose Ramirez. That's kind of – not only that, but Jose Ramirez wasn't able to get a hit yesterday. Does that worry you guys? No, I don't think so because – I think the whole thing with baseball is that you you can go 0 for 4 one day and the next day you can go 3 for 4 with like 5 RBIs. I, I'm not too worried about it, especially because he had that 2-run home run in game 1. I think it might have just been one of those days for him. Jake? I'm not worried about Jose Ramirez because like Shane Bieber said on Friday after the win, Jose Ramirez is inevitable. He will get you the hit. He sure. will provide runs when he needs to. I mean, he definitely had to in that sixth inning. He didn't. And then, thankfully, Oscar Gonzalez made up for it in the 15th inning. What I'm more concerned about, though, is just the offense in general and our performance when we have runners in scoring position because that's when we have to play well. We have to get those clutch hits, especially going into a series against the Yankees. The Yankees are going to score. They are. Are we going to be able to keep up with them? That all depends on our ability to hit the baseball with runners in scoring position. So I'm definitely worried about that. And like you said, in the sixth inning, bases loaded, no outs, best two batters up at the plate, and we couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you, Jake. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's the offense that worries me, especially looking at having to play the Yankees. Are they going to be able to keep up? And the other thing I was going to ask, and I don't know – names off the top of my head, but there were a couple pitchers that the Rays brought in um, before uh, Kluber, and I was like, these guys are not good. We should be getting hits off these guys. They actually, the Rays like would take them out. They'd be like, no, you're done. Like You're playing bad. Are those you know like opportunities where we really should have been able to end the game? I think so, but when you also look at the extra innings from yesterday's games, yesterday's game, you have to consider the shadows on the field, too, because the pitcher's mound was in the sun and the batter's box were, was in shadows, and that's such a bad predicament to be in as a hitter. It makes the ball incredibly hard to see, and you saw it on both sides. Yep, I mean, both sides weren't really hitting the ball in those extra innings. Finally, the pitcher's mound got in the shade as well, and that's kind of when you saw some hits take place, and then, of course, that Oscar Gonzalez home run. But, yeah, that certainly didn't help things. And one thing I'll say about the Rays' bullpen, too, is that the MLB postseason and playoff baseball brings the best out of everybody. So those bullpen pitchers were pitching their heart out, and that was a winner-go-home game for the Rays. They had to pitch their absolute best, and that's what they did. And it came down to one bad pitch 
from a legendary Cleveland pitcher in Corey Kluber. Devin? Yeah. Um, I just want to say this. I think if the Guardians lose that game, if they, let's say the Rays would have taken it, I don't think the Guardians would have won game three. I think it would have been very deflating for this young team. And I think Tampa would have had all the momentum and it would have carried them over. Not to mention that you had you would have had, I think it would have been Cal Quantrill or Aaron Savali pitching, who had relatively decent years, but they're they're going to give up like two or three runs most likely, while Mackenzie and Bieber probably wouldn't do that. And I don't know if the offense would necessarily have been able to keep up with that, especially how Tampa's pitching was going in. No, yeah, I think those are good points. I kind of disagree Jake. on that, though. I mean, Cal Quantrill would have been slated to start Game 3. He's been a pretty reliable pitcher this year. He's had his rough starts, but recently Cal Quantrill has been on fire. And if you look at the Rays, they didn't even have a starting pitcher slotted for Game 3 yet. They had to use Rasmussen in relief in Game 2. Their bullpen was exhausted, so was ours. And I would have trusted Cal Quantrill all day against whoever the Rays would have sent out there for their starter pitcher. No, yeah, it's interesting. Devin, you got anything to say? Yeah, I I don't know. I still just stand by that. I don't necessarily know if we would have won. It's about... Well, yeah, and, you know, I think for me it's more so are you ready to play playoff baseball? More so the talent. I think the talent is there, but I don't know if, you know, that's the big game for you. Could be your last. Are you able to perform uh, with that pressure? I'm not sure if uh, Quantrill would have been able to handle that necessarily. I mean, Tristan McKenzie did. Tristan McKenzie Shane Bieber did. did. Dog. But I, I expected it out of Shane Bieber. I yep. didn't I didn't expect it out of Tristan McKenzie, though. No, I didn't. I am shocked by how well he played in his first postseason start of his career. Absolutely amazing. Let's go on to talk about what will be this week's game, Tuesday versus the New York Yankees, guys. Who do you... What do you... I don't even know what to say. What do you think is going to happen with the Guardians going against the Yankees? If they can split in New York, they, they can win the series. Because it'll it's two in New York, then it goes two back to Cleveland. I think they can win the games in Cleveland. I'm not as confident if they can win in New York. But if they can split games, games one or two and then come back here, I think they can win it. Because they only need to win three. It's a best of five. And the pitching has to be there. And if the offense can produce a little more... I think that's all we need to see is just the offense needs to produce more than just three total runs in two days. You need to have more than that. And I think it's either Aaron Zavalli or Cal, Cal Quantrill slated to start game one. Um, and then you could technically use Bieber or uh, McKenzie again because you have an off day in the middle there for game two. So we'll see what happens. But I think that if they split, they'll, they can win the series. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we'll likely have Kyle Quantrill pitch game one, potentially Aaron Savali pitch game two, and then I would like to see Bieber and McKenzie available for games three and four if needed. Game five could feature Quantrill again if he's ready. They do have two off days in that series. If not, then a mix of Plesak, maybe Cody Morris gets in there too. In this series, five-game series, the Yankees are minus 170 betting favorites. Guardians are plus 140 underdogs. I think that betting line is pretty accurate. And Alex, we, we're we wrestling fans We are up here. And the storytelling of this series is beautiful to see. We all know what happened early in the season. I think it was late May, maybe early April, when the Guardians played in New York for a series. The fans were throwing garbage at our players. They were mocking Stephen Kwan when he was injured. 
Miles Straw got up in the Yankees fans' faces. We had that debate on the air. I defended our players. You defended the fans and the athletes. This storybooking. I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't defend the fans. You said that the athlete should be better. I did. So yes. I didn't defend the fans. Well, sure, sure. But the the storytelling here is amazing. We're going. Yeah. We're going to the Bronx for the first two games of the series. Can the offense correct itself? Can the team? find a way to score runs against a team that has really good starting pitch- pitching, at least at the top two for the Yankees, and one of the best, if not the best, lineup in all of baseball. Can the Guardians, the underdog of this entire season, make it happen against the team and the team's fans who threw trash at us literally earlier this season? It's beautiful. You know, as much as yeah, I can say offense is really going to have to play good, Pitching is going to have to be on point. I got to agree with you, Jake, 100%. The biggest thing that the Guardians have going against the Yankees is not how good pitching's been, not Jose Ramirez. It's momentum. It's we have that underdog spirit. We have that we shouldn't be here, but we made it here, and let's keep going spirit. That young talent that just wants to win and wants to thrive and wants to make it far. That's what's going to get us the win at the end of the day. It's going to be these guys wanting to play their absolute best. It's not going to be, you know, obviously it's still a game. So it's going to be, yes, pitching is good. Offense is going to be good. But at the end of the day, if we are able to beat the Yankees, it's going to be because our momentum's there. And momentum will take us as far as we can go. With that being said, I think that... The Yankees are going to destroy us here. I destroy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hello, hypocritical. I've uh, been watching baseball for two days, and your takes are still trash, Alex. Jake, I just the Yankees are a good team, and you know it's 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 great to want to love your home team and want to be able to see how they can perform. But this Yankees team is a team who's like ready and they're prepared. A lot of these guys in the Guardians have never been there before. Now. They were able to show what they can do in the wild card. Showed some glimpses of hope, so that helps. Let's see what they can show this week. I'm not going to fully count them out yet, but if I had to make a prediction right now, I'm giving it to the Yankees. This whole entire season, everyone has said, if they had to make a prediction right now, the Guardians are a 500 team or worse. That's what it was at the beginning of the season. And look look where they are. They've won 92 games at the end of the season. I know what I said. Well, they've won 24 of their last 32, I think. I'm I mean, aware. they're the hottest team in baseball. Don't they do this every year almost, guys? No. Don't we see disappointment from this team every year? When's no. the disappointment going to happen? Maybe not ever this season. Yeah, you never know, man. So you guys got the Guardians winning this week? I, or this series? I have them winning in four, yeah. I have them splitting in New York and then winning the two in Cleveland, and then that's then go to the LCS to play Houston. Jake? Because I think... The Houston's going to win that series. Gotcha. I'll say this. We've been grinding away at a wild card series while the Yankees have been sitting at home. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is the Yankees' top two pitchers and their lineup. Our offense was ice cold in the series against the Rays, and they'll need to wake up if they want to advance to the ALCS. 
I think this starts with guys who produced all season long that didn't produce in the wild card. This includes Stephen Kwan, who went hitless in 10 at-bats in the wild card, and Andres Jimenez, who had one hit in eight at-bats, including a five-strikeout performance yesterday afternoon. We'll need to hit with runners in scoring position as well and limit the home run ball of the Yankees if possible. Aaron Judge will hit home runs in this series. Let's hope to stop the batters in front of him and put up a fight against the Yankees. That's all I'm hoping for is a fight. I don't want to get swept. And if we lose in four or five games, which is ultimately my prediction, I'll be okay with that. Even though I wouldn't be shocked at all if this time next week we're talking Guardians, Astros, or Mariners in the ALCS. No, I think you make a lot of good points, Jake. And, you know... Guys, I said a lot of good things about the Guardians here. Just because I don't think you said the word destroy, Alex. <laughs> I oh the the you D said word. that one word. <laughs> well, guys, I love the Guardians. I want to, I want to see them win the World Series. I actually predicted on a Sports Power Talk that they would win the World Series. But now you're saying they're going to get destroyed. With what emotion on your face did um, you say that, Alex? I just guys, I, I when I look at it, uh, I just I can't necessarily take them right now and that's all i'm asking is your predictions right now maybe after i see what they can do tuesday what they can see in the next games i change my mind but right now if i had to pick i'm not going with the guardians guys some uh, go ahead Devin. sometimes a buy can also hurt a team though in baseball sometimes it really helps too the yankee well yeah but the yankees haven't played since wednesday yeah and something else could be a little bit of a, that could hurt them in Game 1. So, that's, so it's possible the Guardians could take Game 1. Absolutely. Plus our bullpen will be hot. I mean, our whole bullpen pitched yesterday, so they have some experience as well. Also something of note for the Yankees' bullpen, Aroldis Chapman. Good old Aroldis who comes oh. up every single postseason against the Guardians, always pitches well against us. Aaron Boone said that the Yanks reliever missed a workout, did not have an acceptable excuse, and he has left off the ALDS roster. There you wow. go. Guys, real quickly, I want to get into some of these other wild card games. Uh, just shortly before we get off, let's talk about the Phillies and the Cardinals. Phillies won. Uh, now they move on to play the Braves. Devin, do you have any quick uh, quick takeaways there? Yeah, the Phillies' six, six round ninth in game uh, one was pretty impressive. I think the Cardinals... Um, Ryan Healy, he had 19 saves in the regular season with the microscopic one... 25 ERA, and yet he gave up four earned runs. Um, the guy who came in after him was Andre Palantate, um, and he didn't do much help with uh, the inherited runners, but it's still, still unacceptable that the Cardinals will up six runs in the ninth to the Phillies in game one. Jake? Yeah, I don't have much else to add. That six-run inning in the ninth in that first game for the Phillies was huge. We're very shocked by that. Game two, my guy Bryce Harper got that solo home run in the second. That was all they really needed. They added another run later on. The Phillies won that game 2-0. to zero. And the Cardinals, I was really high on them going into this postseason. If there was one series that shocked me the most in the wild card, it was this one. I fully expected the Cardinals to advance. They have a star power lineup, but it was the Phillies that prevailed. Yeah, there you go. Another game is the Mets and the Padres. Padres won Friday 7-1, and they lost yesterday. Uh, 3-7, and they're going to play again today. Devin, give me your predictions for how the series ends. I don't know what to say here because both games have kind of been blowouts. Granted, the second game was a four-run game. So it's very possible it can go either way with how offensively it's been. It's been offensively dominated one side versus the other in both games. Um, I think the Mets are going to find a way to win it, though. Jake? 
Yeah, both teams love the home run ball. Shocked by Max Scherzer's performance in Game 1. But Game 3 tonight at 7.07, Joe Musgrove takes the mound for the Padres. In one start against the Mets this year, he went five innings, five hits, four earned runs against him. And for the Mets, a University of Akron alum takes the mound today at 7.07. Chris Bassett in two starts against the Padres this year, though, 10.1 innings pitched, 12 hits, and nine earned runs against him. I'm going to lean the Padres, but I'm really rooting for the Mets and Chris Bassett in this one. No, I also see the Padres getting a win here. Then finally, guys, Seattle and the Blue Jays. Uh, I mean, what a game yesterday. Um, I The Blue Jays won. They're going to go on to play the Astros. Give me your guys' predictions and what you thought of the game yesterday. I'm a little disappointed in the series as a whole of the um, Mariners and Blue Jays because I thought it was going to go three for sure. Both these teams are very young, very inexperienced when it comes to the postseason. Um, both of them, I th- think, thrive with the home run ball, I believe. Um, and I thought it was a little unacceptable that the Blue Jays gave up an 8-1 to one lead in Game 2 and yeah. just lost the game 10-9. to fifth, nine. Like Winning in the 5th. Big yeah. time. It's like, crazy. Like, I thought there was no chance the, the Mariners were going to come back, and they did. Um, I think Houston's going to win, though. I think it could go five because the Mariners have the little bit of momentum carrying them from the wild card series, but I think Houston wins it. Yeah, the Mariners scored 14 runs in two games. They were electric in the wild card. Game one, they won 4-0. to zero. Luis Castillo was magnificent in the series. Alec Manoa, clearly more pressure it, or clearly pressure is more than for just tires like he was talking about in the in the Blue Jays locker room game two Manners come back from that 8-1 deficit they overcame the largest deficit in a series clinching game in postseason history Teoscar Hernandez for the Blue Jays had a great game hit two home runs four RBIs and it's the Mariners moving on to play Houston no, yeah, it was definitely a crazy game. I didn't get to watch everything, but just like seeing like my my Twitter blow up, I was like, it was kind of exciting. Uh, guys, that's it for baseball. Uh, we're done with the Guardians. Next up, we're going to talk about the Cavs, and we're going to get into our hot mic questions. It's not too late to ask a hot mic question. WZIP Sports on Twitter. Go ask your questions there, but don't go anywhere. Stick around. Sports Power Talk, 88.1. Welcome back to Sports Power Talk. My name's Alex Henry, and I'm with... Devin Lucas. What's up? And... Jake Murren. And we just got done talking about the Guardians and the MLB. Now we're going to shift our focus to another Cleveland sports team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, guys. It is quickly approaching basketball season, that time of year where it's playoff baseball, beginning of the NBA season, middle of the NFL season, the best time in sports, if you ask me. Uh, And the Cavs had a preseason game versus the 76ers. Jake, I'll give it to you first. What did you take away from this Cleveland Cavaliers preseason game. Yeah, we lost by one point, but it's a preseason game, so that means absolutely nothing. Donovan Mitchell, in 19 minutes, went 6-for-9, scoring 16 points with 5 assists. Was really impressed by Donovan Mitchell. Our worst starter in terms of field goal percentage was Jarrett Allen at 29%, which I doubt we'll see that in the regular season. I'm not too concerned there. Unfortunately, Isaac Okoro missed both his three-point attempts. But it is the preseason, so I'm not going to overreact. And I still want him to end up in the starting lineup. 
And then last thing I have for the Cavs here, I think Evan Mobley's right ankle sprain clearly hurts this team. Um, yeah. Hopefully it's something that doesn't linger the rest of the year, and he'll be able to come back in the two weeks that was originally diagnosed. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jake. I think the team uh, is starting to get their chemistry. I don't know if it's only one preseason game, but I think that's what the preseason is meant for, starting a little bit of chemistry going into the regular season. Right, yeah. I mean, preseason doesn't mean anything. And I learned that from being a Browns fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, all those times that the Browns would win every preseason game and then go 0-16, right? So <laughs> it's it pretty rough. But uh, if I had to give some takeaways, I would say that I liked how we looked from three-point. And not necessarily because we were making all of our three-pointers, but because we were shooting them. And that's something that is kind of needed in today's uh, age of basketball. Uh, not necessarily that you have to be Golden State and build your entire offense around three-pointing, but if you're just a mid-range in the paint team, you are not going to make it past round one in the playoffs. That's just the way basketball is now. That could change, but that's how it is. So I liked seeing these guys uh, rip at the three-point line. And also they were playing a little bit defensively different, and I think that has to do with Mobley being out. Uh, but I think it's always good to try out new schemes, especially you know, going into a new season, teams are going to know what you did last year. Uh, so you kind of got to change things around a little bit. And we kind of saw glimpses of that in the preseason. Devin, do you have something to say? Um, you, you were looking like you had something to say, but maybe you don't. No, I don't have anything to add. Okay, I'd cool, agree cool, with you. Cool. So then yesterday, the Cavaliers had their annual wine and gold scrimmage. And that's just a game where the team plays each other. So it was... A lot of Cleveland's fans' first time being able to see Donovan Mitchell in a Cavs jersey yesterday, which I think is pretty cool. Not anything crazy to take away, guys, but do you have any takeaways from this game? Yeah, I thought it was cool that they moved it to 11 a.m. to avoid conflict with the Guardians postseason game. I thought it was interesting that Raul Nito scored the first basket for the Cavs. Definitely a name I wasn't expecting to see. I heard that a Donovan Mitchell three-pointer about two and a half minutes in was a roaring crowd when that happened. The team also put on a dunk contest after the scrimmage, so I thought that was pretty cool. Love Garland and Mitchell were the judges, and even Mitchell gave the crowd a dunk for the fans. Ultimately, it just sounds like it was a great event for team chemistry. Fans felt really connected to this team in the in the scrimmage, and I think optimism is currently at an all-time high for the Cleveland Cavaliers ahead of the 2022 NBA season. Devin? Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, we have a lot to look forward to for the Cavs in this regular season coming up. Yeah, for me, my biggest takeaway is that these guys looked like they were having fun. I mean, the, the wine and gold is not necessarily something that you take away a lot of stats from uh, because it is more of a thing for the fans than it is the team. But that being said, the team's playing together. And a team, you know, where you're putting a bunch of pieces together and they're good, it's good to see them having fun because you can take a lot of talented guys and put them on the same team and it doesn't mean it's going to work out. You can look at teams James Harden's been on. You can look at the current situation in New York. Uh, you could you know put these talented guys together, but it doesn't mean that they will work well together on the court. So it's nice to see from right now, from one preseason game in a, in a Cavalier scrimmage that they're able to have fun. But guys, it's time to get in to our segment that we do every week, Hot Mike, where we take your guys' questions from Twitter and we answer them live right here on Sports Power Talk. So I'll start with 
or super fan, Jake Murren. Jake Murren's number one fan. Jake Murren to go. Who's winning the MLB Rookie of the Year for both leagues? So I think it's pretty obvious for the NL. It's got to be Michael Harris of the Atlanta Braves. He's been playing very well. Also got signed to an extension, I believe. I think that's obvious for the AL. It's kind of up in the air. I think three candidates could make a case. Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, and, of course, Stephen Kwan of our very own Cleveland Guardians. I really want Kwan to win it, but if I'm talking out of my analyst role, which I am, I'm unfortunately going to have to give it to Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. Yeah, um, I think Michael Harris and then Stephen Kwan. I think he had a really good rookie season. Didn't he finish the season batting around 300? Like, wasn't he like 290-something or like right on 300, I believe? Yeah, close to it. Yeah, so I think he could definitely make a case to be the rookie of the year for the AL. Uh, Jake Murray to go. I'm going to go with uh, that Michael Harris, man. He has looked truly incredible. What he's able to do on a baseball field, uh, you know, day in and day out is is awesome. And for the AL, I'm going with Oscar Gonzalez, man. What a what a awesome player able to win that wild card game. Just because of that, he should win. I mean, it's really rookie. a regular season award. I like your confidence for a hometown guy, but no, he should win rookie of the year because of that. Jake. I just, I just, they're going to change the rules. <laughs> I just don't think there's enough in season experience for Oscar Gonzalez to win that award. Fair enough, guys. It's kind of my lack of knowledge on baseball here when it yeah, comes yeah. to answering this question. Uh, but I'll go on to another question by Jake Murdico. Who is the best running back of all time? Devin. Uh, Jim Brown. Jim Brown's a close second for me. I'm going to go with Barry Sanders. Played 10 seasons for the Lions. 10-time Pro Bowler. 97 NFL MVP. Voted Offensive Player of the Year twice. Rushed for over 1,500 rushing yards in his career. And averaged five yards a carry. I want to go Barry Sanders because I, I do think that... Um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? As a running back, as a player, I think he really was the best. But Jim Brown, I got to go with Jim Brown. What he was able to do on a football field is kind of unheard of, and it probably won't ever happen again, at least anytime soon, especially with the league becoming a passing league more and more every single day. So I'm going to agree with you, Devin. Also an update in the NFL real quick. The London game, the Giants just pulled ahead of the Packers. It's 27-0. to zero. Wow. That hurts for me as a Packers fan. Oh, you're pa- Packers you, and Dan, you and Dan. You and Dan <laughs> yeah. with your secondary teams. Imagine being yeah. a Packers fan. That's rough. Well, <laughs> Imagine well, being a Browns fan, Alex. Like, what no, are you talking about? Rough no, fan bases, That is man. rough. It's rough. It's been a rough <laughs> season for both of my teams so far. The Packers are 3-1, and one, but it doesn't. Right. it's not a comfortable 3-1. I can tell you that. Jake Murren, I go ask one more question. He said, if Alex Caruso played in the 50s, would he be an all-time player? Devin. Um. Yeah. So I think before the show, you were taking it as as if he was playing at 50 years old. I think what Jake Murnigo is getting at here is if he played in the 1950s. No, that's what I think, too. Okay, okay. No, yeah. No, I think, I don't know. It's a very, very weird question. I'm just going to say no. I don't understand it. Well, right now, I'd say Alex Caruso is a top 100 player of all time. So okay. okay, sure. If I put him in the fifties, dude, I mean, this is what I gotta say, Jake Murnigo. If I was playing in the fifties, I would be an all-time player of all time. I'd be dribbling between the legs, dribbling <laughs> behind the back, shooting from twenty-five feet, 
and these guys wouldn't know what to do. I'd be I'd be doing underhand layups, and they would their minds would be just blowing steam out their ears. So I think I would have been an all-time player back then. Man, we really should have gone to that assist basketball tryout because I would have loved to see you do all that. Oh, 100%, <laughs> Jake, 100%. Kelly Craig asks, thoughts on ALDS versus Yankees, can we win? Yes, and four. I think we can. If we split in New York, we can win in Cleveland when he comes back. Yeah, I think game one is going to set the tone of the series probably going to be Garrett Cole out there for the Yankees which gives me nightmares but I think the Guardians have the tools to win I kind of talked about it my predictions is Yankees in four or five games but I think the Guardians can win this series we bring a different brand of baseball to the postseason unlike other teams who just rely on the home run ball for all of their runs we saw the Padres score seven runs exclusively via the home run on Friday against the Mets so in the ALDS versus the Yankees, we're not a home run team. If we score runs just on consecutive base hits, maybe we'll be able, be able to outscore the Yankees and the home run ball. The question, can we win, is different than the question, do I think we will win? Will we win, yeah. So I'm going to go with, yeah. I mean, I think we can win. I think we can, I think we can win. I think we can go ahead and win the World Series if you're asking. I don't think we will win, though. I think we will. Thank you, Kelly, for asking that question. Our very own Logan Congrove asked a question here on Hot Mike. He said, good morning, gentlemen. Thank thank you, Logan. Good morning to you as well. It's not (laughs) the afternoon. I mean, it's 12. Come on now. Come on now, Logan. Yeah, he's kind of slacking. He said, this this is what he said, guys, word for word. Listen to this guy. He said, give me your pick to win the NBA championship this year and explain why it's the Miami Heat. I'll explain to you why it's not the Miami Heat, Logan. You have gone on these airwaves and ranted, and I mean ranted, about the Miami Heat. So much to the point where I've had your mic potted down almost (laughs) all the way because you are screaming into this very microphone. The Miami Heat are not even going to get close to touching the NBA championship trophy this year. All they did this offseason was overpay Tyler Hero on their bench. That's the only move they made. You think they have the coach of the year? You saw how he coached in the the playoffs last last year. He's not the coach of the year of the NBA. Not even close to the coach of the year. And you've been screaming on these airways for months saying, get Jimmy help. Get Jimmy help. We need to get Jimmy help. You didn't do anything to get Jimmy help. So why are you expecting anything to change for heat culture? Because the culture's going to win you games. Culture doesn't mean anything for the Heat. They're not going to get close to an NBA championship. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, Devin, I hope that you don't think the Miami Heat are going to win. No, yeah, I don't think they're going to win. I'd agree with what Jake said. Do do you guys have somebody who you think will win that's not the Miami Heat? I'll play it safe. I'll go with the Warriors. (laughs) As long as they can stop having UFC fights in their locker room and in their practices, I think they they can repeat. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Warriors can. I mean, it's obviously really hard to tell right now. For me, I have three names. It's either it's Golden State, it's the Bucks, or it's the Celtics. So none of those teams are the Miami Heat, unfortunately, Logan. <laughs> I would probably put Miami Heat at four, maybe five. They are a really good team. I'm not going to discredit the Miami Heat. However, they are not ready. They haven't done anything. Besides what what you said, Jake, re-sign Tyler Hero. All right, cool. overpay Tyler Hero at that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's going to help you win. 
he, he couldn't even help you win when you guys had the opportunity to win. So I don't think that he is going to be much of a help there. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go with the Warriors as well. He asked another question. He said, what would you consider to be the hardest sport to play professionally and why? This is such a tough one. I mean, obviously all sports are difficult to play professionally. At the end of the day, I think I'm going to go with baseball, though, just because pitchers have become so talented, so batting has become extremely difficult. In terms of being like a well-rounded athlete, sure, baseball might not need that skill set. I mean, you see Josh Naylor. He he doesn't have the typical um, physique of a football player, for example. But he is a talented baseball player. So baseball, it's just a very hard, attainable skill to be able to hit a baseball. And even for pitchers, I mean, it's hard to pitch a baseball with as much movement and as much speed as some of these MLB pitchers are getting nowadays. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think baseball... This is interesting. Go ahead. <laughs> if you say something and you argue it, I could change my opinion. I'm not too strong on baseball. Okay, well, Devin, do you have uh, anything yeah. else to say about baseball? Well, yeah, I would agree. I think I think what you were saying, Jake, I I think it's really hard to get that movement with the with the pitching and let alone hit the ball, let's say like 400 feet. Like it's, I think that's really challenging. Sure. So I see that you can answer this question two different ways. You can answer it as what is the hardest sport to be able to get to the professional level to be able to play? Or what is the hardest sport to play at the professional level? Because it wasn't really specific. So if you're asking the question, what is the hardest sport to be able to get to play at the professional level? Statistically, it's base or basketball, guys. In basketball, there is a 1 in 12,363 chance of playing pro if you played in high school. And that's more than any other professional sport and it's really not close so the thing about basketball is it's the most overpopulated sport right now the most people are playing basketball and you have to be so different and special than everybody else to be able to make it to play basketball at a professional level so just based off the stats i would say the hardest one to make it pro is basketball because that's what the numbers say. The but, the stat of saying that basketball is overpopulated with players, that's a really good point. But with baseball, my argument for that would be just there's so many affiliate teams to where just building your way up and up and up, finally getting to a major league team. I mean, that's, that's a process in and of itself. Yeah. No, sure. But if you're asking what's the hardest sport to play professionally, I go with boxing. Boxing is overall everything kind of what jake was talking about earlier having to be an athlete it's boxing having to worry about your weight your cardio your everything and how long you can do it longevity wise it's got to be boxing boxers come in they'll have their first pro fight and they might not ever get to fight pro again purely off of one loss so i go with boxing there i'm a huge combat sports fan and for whatever reason combat sports didn't come into my mind when i was answering this question i was kind of thinking of just baseball basketball football but i didn't even say mma is more difficult than boxing just because of all the different disciplines within mma having to learn all of those regardless of just boxing Mm -hmm. and of course the physical toll on the body not only during weight cuts but in the actual fight themselves And like you said, longevity as well. I mean, some of these fighters will have good careers, retire at 40, which is still pretty late for a combat sports athlete, then have to find work elsewhere. I go boxing over MMA, which I don't watch much boxing. I 
really only watch MMA because boxing's a more dangerous sport purely based off of how the rules are. You can get knocked out multiple times in a boxing match and continue to keep fighting. There's a reason why no one's ever died in MMA, ever, like not even at the amateur level during a fight, but on average every year 15 fighters in boxing actually die on average in the ring. So that's it's pretty sad to even think about, but it's because you can get knocked out, but if you can prove to the referee that you're ready in 10 seconds, you can keep on going. So... For me, that's why I have boxing over MMA. Uh, just that, and it's it's a little more technical because it's only striking, whereas MMA, you can be good in different aspects, which is a point to make for MMA in itself. But we'll get away from that question. Uh, Matt Premuka, also here at WZIP, asked, since the Browns are in their color rush uniform Sunday, I want to ask you guys, favorite Browns jersey of all time? My favorite Browns jersey of all time hasn't been released yet. And it's the all orange. I have been waiting for these. I have an orange Nick Chubb jersey when they released those those special edition, whatever it was called, on NFL.com. I bought one of those right away. It's the orange uniforms. Even the uniforms we had previous to these ones, the terrible ones during like the rookie years of Baker Mayfield, I hated those uniforms. But the orange ones that we wore maybe once or twice... I loved those. Anything that has a speck of orange on the uniform, well, more than a speck, the entire thing is orange. That's my favorite. I liked the ones from, uh, I believe it was 2015, 2016, the ones that most people hated. The orange one? No, the ones that were like brown and they had like an orange. Like, I think the ones the that, numbers. I think the ones I'm talking about that I did not like. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so the, those were the ones that I did like a lot. I don't know. I just thought they looked. I think they looked. They had more color to them. I just liked it. I felt like the brown was more. I don't know, more prominent. Whatever jersey that the Browns wore versus the Jets when Baker Mayfield built my hopes up all the way into thinking that he was going to win us a Super Bowl. Whatever jerseys those were, those were my favorite Browns jerseys. That brown with the orange lettering, brown pants, I really liked those jerseys. Is that the same color rush jerseys that we have now? It's pretty much the same except for our current color rush jerseys. We got rid of the stripes on the shoulder pad. Okay. And of course, we don't have the browns lettering above the number in the middle of the chest. Gotcha. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite browns jersey, though. I don't own one, but I, I really liked those jerseys. Oh, that Jets game. Yeah, yeah. I missed that game. That was, yeah, me too. That was an awesome game. I just live in that moment I forever. Bet, I bet you want to, Jake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely do. The Baker special. Uh, Matt asked one more question. He said, if you could add one fictional football player from any TV show or movie to your favorite team right now, who would you add? Thad Castle. It's not close. I'm a big Blue Mountain State fan. Mm-hmm. There's probably not a single action that Thad Castle does in that TV show that I could say on air. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Thad Castle. Uh, I'd go Rudy. Rudy? What yeah. team are you putting Rudy on? I feel like he needs to go on your Packers. <laughs> they need, some, they need some, some fire under their belt. Yeah. I'm going to go with Thad Castle as well. I'm putting him on the zips, dude. You put Thad Castle, a college oh football pro, on the zips. We go from all these losing games to winning all of them. Could you imagine Thad Castle starting linebacker for the Akron Zips, just plowing people over. Oh, it'd be awesome. It'd be beautiful. I got one more question, and I saved it for the end on purpose. Thoughts on Bray Wyatt's epic return and how it impacts the WWE. Yeah, it's it was crazy. I was watching last night one of my first WWE pay-per-views I've tuned into in a long time, 
and I was watching the Matt Riddle Seth Rollins match. Matt Riddle goes off, and you know that little that little graphic they put up in the corner saying exclusive rights to the WWE. Usually seconds after that, the pay per view's over. They go off the air. So I saw that come up, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, they're not going to bring Bray Wyatt. This pay per view is a complete." dumpster fire and then boom lights turn out we get probably five minutes or close to it of just storytelling and then he comes out with his lantern of old and a mask of new and bray wyatt is back Devin, you got anything to say about bray wyatt i just agree with jake you agree with jake bray wyatt's comeback thank you all your for asking this question it's a great question was awesome. It was one of the best comebacks that we've seen in a very, very long time. That crowd pop was incredible. The fact that they were able to withstand like the length of cheering that they did for that whole five-minute segment and then be even louder when Bray Wyatt actually came out was awesome. And it's good to see him back kind of as the cult leader slash fiend character that he's doing. So I was very happy. How does it impact the WWE? It only makes it better. More people want to see Bray Wyatt, so it's there's going to be more Bray Wyatt. But that is going to wrap it up for Hot Mike. When we get back, we're going to talk about the NFL and, of course, your Cleveland Browns. Welcome back to Sports Power Talk. My name's Alex Henry, and I'm with... Devin Lucas. Jake Murrin. And we are coming in to our last segment. We're going to talk about the NFL, guys. And I'm really excited for this segment. Obviously, baseball was really big this week. uh, And the Guardians kind of overshadowed the Browns. But hey, it's still Brown season. You don't get that often. So we're going to definitely get into that. But before we do, we're like kind of a quarter into the season. You can't really say a quarter because there's an odd number of games in the season. But call it what you will. We're early in the season. And I want to give some player award early candidates so meaning you know if you had to pick right now who do you think the offensive player will be who do you think the defensive player will be so we'll start with offensive player of the year if you had to guess right now who will be the offensive player of the year in the NFL um I have Stefan Diggs so far um thus far this season he has um over 400 yards receiving and he's already up to four touchdowns and that's averaging one touchdown per game so far that's my offensive player. That's, you know, it's not bad. I definitely say Diggs is the best wide receiver in the in the league right now. And he's, I like Diggs because he's finally showcasing what he's been able to do. So yeah. that's not a bad take. Um, and then my defensive player? Uh, well, we'll save. We'll get oh, Jake's okay. offensive first. Right, then we'll bad. go back to defensive. Yeah, my offensive player of the year, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, he's four yards behind Saquon Barkley for most rushing yards in the league at 459 and one touchdown behind Jamal Williams for most rushing touchdowns this season at five. I absolutely expect him to lead both categories at the end of the year. I felt like there was only one right answer, Jake, and I thought we were going to agree. Do we not? But we disagree. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I got to give to Saquon Barkley. I, Saquon Barkley is leading the NFL in rushing yards, 463 on 84 carries. And mind you, he's winning with a sorry, pitiful excuse of an offensive line in the Giants. He's winning games. And that's really the difference between uh, Saquon, besides leading the league in rushing yards and Chubb for me, is that the Giants are winning. 
with an awful offensive line, and Barclays kind of just leading that for them. Uh, but I'd well, say that Nick's a close second. I mean, Chubb's only four yards behind him. Sure. Chubb has more touchdowns than Saquon Barkley. I think he's overall a better runner than Saquon Barkley. And if we're talking about awards, I think Barkley's going to win a Comeback Player of the Year award, mm-hmm. and the Offensive Player of the Year award is going to go to Nick Chubb. Yeah, we'll see. Devin, I'm going to give it back to you. Defensive player of the year. I have Mika Fitzpatrick of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. He has he already has over three interceptions this season. He's been a real. He's been like the. I feel like he's been the catalyst for the Steelers secondary so far this season. And I think there's a lot more interceptions to come. He's looked really good. Jake, I hated all of that. I hated all of that. No Steelers. I disagree. Positivity. I disagree Funny. as well. Sorry, Devin. <laughs> yeah, I disagree as well. I have Micah Parsons as my defensive player of the year so far. He won defensive rookie of the year last season. He's been looking just as good this year with 13 tackles and four sacks. And he plays a huge role for that Dallas Cowboys defense. So I like Parsons for a defensive player of the year. I think Micah Parsons is probably the favorite, as in if I had to pick right now. And I think he is playing really good. I'm going to disagree just to have three different opinions. I'm going to go with Nick Boza, who already has six sacks this season. And he honestly looks better than he ever has. And he's kind of at that point in not all defensive um, ends careers, but some defensive ends careers where they play good, they play good, and then they really start to play good and they give you that good season or two. That is this season for Nick Boza. And if he can continue to play like that, I think he does win the Defensive Player of the Year. Any, any takes on that? No, I think Micah Parsons and Bosa are probably one and, one two, and two in this race right now. I mean, if Fitzpatrick gets some more interceptions, I could see him be discussed right. for that as well. But the Steelers' defense isn't anything special. I know they're injured, and that's a lot of the story there. But I do like Micah Parsons as of right now. Miles Garrett was actually the favorite before the season of Defensive Player of the Year. So yeah, I'm not surprised. We can even maybe see a Miles Garrett comeback. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. But now it is time for our signature segment, Around the Rue, where we ask a question and leave it up to you guys on Twitter to answer it. Last week, 40% of you voted that the Guardians' realistic expectation is to win the wild card, so that 40%, you win, and maybe if we lose versus the Yankees, you were a 100% winner. But this week, I want to ask, who do you guys think the early season NFL MVP is? I'm going to give you four options, and these are based off of betting favorites. So if you go on a betting website and you average them all out, these three are the favorites right now. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson or another? Devin? Uh, I have Josh Allen. He's already thrown for over 1,000 yards this season. He's in the double digits of touchdowns. I think he's thrown 10 touchdowns so far this season. And I like him for our uh, MVP. Yeah, I'm going with Josh Allen as well. This race is incredibly, incredibly close if you look at the stats. Josh Allen's 67.3% completion rate over... uh, 
1,200 yards passing, 10 touchdowns, and only three interceptions on the year. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes is not far back of those numbers. Lamar Jackson himself, not far back. He also has ran for 316 yards and two touchdowns. So while he's lacking in terms of passing yards, he's also rushing the ball a lot. So how do you weigh that in the MVP conversation? And I'll just give you another candidate because there is another category. I think Jalen Hurts belongs in this conversation as well. His completion percentage is above Patrick Mahomes, just slightly lower than Josh Allen, has more passing yards than Patrick Mahomes. The real kick, though, is he has four touchdowns on the year, two interceptions. But he can also run the ball as well, just like Lamar Jackson. He has 205 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground this year. No, I'm happy that you brought up Jalen Hurts because I think that he definitely is a name to be in this conversation for MVP. But it's the same thing with Lamar that I have for Jalen is are they going to be able to sustain what they are doing right now? Is Lamar going to be able to continue to run and pass the ball like he is? Is Jalen Hurts, quite frankly, going to be able to continue to win uh, like he is? Um, I don't know. But when you look at the two guys, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, it's a lot of a closer battle for me. I'm going to give it to Josh Allen strictly because Josh Allen's doing what Patrick Mahomes did at Patrick Mahomes' last peak. Patrick Mahomes isn't necessarily, not necessarily that you can have multiple peaks, so I'll, I'll elaborate, but Patrick Mahomes at his best is what Josh Allen's doing right now, while Patrick Mahomes isn't doing what he's done in past. So if that makes any sense to you, I'm going to give it to Josh Allen for that reason. You guys have any, anything to say about that? I mean, we all agree, but for Patrick Mahomes, I mean, you can be at your peak for more than just one season. No, I agree. So I guess I you don't can think say that like, he peaked. I, yeah, I guess I just you can say like at the his best, best that he's, season. Yeah, his best season. His best season is fine, but I think Patrick Mahomes is still well in his peak right now. 100%. I agree. No, I agree. So, guys, go on Twitter right now. You can vote at Z80 or WZIP Sports uh, around the roost up. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Maybe you have another. Let that in the comments. Let us know in the comments and vote there. But it is time to talk about the Browns. Browns are playing the Chargers this week. And in case you didn't know, Miles Garrett got in a car accident a couple weeks back, didn't play, and now he is uh, he's expected to play today. So how big of a factor is that for the Browns? I think it's a huge factor. He needs to have a big day. Um, against Atlanta, there wasn't much of a pass rush for the Browns, and I think that'll help. And I think Jadeveon Clown is expected to play, and I think that'll also be a uh, big impact for the Browns, and they both need to have a big day if they want to have a chance to win this game. Yeah, Jadeveon Clowney was questionable even going into this game today, but it looks like from sources that he does want to play. And Miles Garrett even says... Look, I don't care if he practices all week. I need him to play this Sunday. So, Jake, what do you think about Jadavion Clowney expecting to play and Miles Garrett is playing? Yeah, I don't have much to add on to what Devin said. You know, Garrett, he's the heart and soul of our defensive unit and a unit that hasn't played very well this season. You know, we have those concerns in the secondary, but talking about the defensive line last week against the Falcons, not very good. And Jadavion Clowney, he makes Garrett better on the defensive line. And that's what you said. You know, Garrett said, I need Clowney on the field. 
That's why he makes Garrett all that much better. And this is a game where we're going to need some solid interior run defense and pressure on Justin Herbert. So it's great that both men will suit up and be on the field. Yeah, 100%. Now going over to the Chargers side of the ball, Joey Boza is still out, obviously, but Keenan Allen didn't practice this week. He's not going to play either. So how big is that for the Browns? I think that's very helpful for the Browns secondary, which has struggled this year. But they do still have Mike Williams to worry about. So we'll see what happens. The Browns seem like they can't stay out of the big play, especially in the fourth quarter. But I I think it's going to help us. Yeah. Again, not much to add. I think you got it perfectly there, Devin. I think it is big for the Browns, as our secondary has been terrible all season long. We made Joe Flacco look great and at times made Marcus Mariota look good as well. But the Chargers still have Mike Williams, though. And Mike Williams, he lit us up last season in L.A., and I expect him to have another huge day in Cleveland this time. No, yeah, I agree. I think Keenan Allen being out is a pro and a con because if Keenan Allen's in you know that their pass game is going to be very, very strong. And that's what they're best at. But with Keenan Allen being out, now you have to worry about them running the ball a little more than they usually would. So they will be a little more unpredictable on the offensive side of the ball. So hopefully the Browns are ready for that. I'm sure they are. So let's get in to our keys for a win for our Cleveland Browns. Devin, give me three keys for the Browns to win this game versus Chargers? Uh, Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney have to have a big day. The Browns have to be able to run the ball effectively. I think Chubb has to go over, I'm going to say he has to rush for at least 75 and maybe a touchdown in there. And then they also have to utilize Hunt. And then another key I'm going to say is Brissett cannot throw an interception this game. I think the Chargers will make him pay if, if he turns the ball over. Yeah, I think 75 yards for Chubb is absolutely nothing. Yeah. But uh, Jacoby Brissett, I like that one. Not throwing a pick. I like that key. But my three keys for this game against the Chargers, first, limit Austin Eckler. Browns gave up 202 yards and two touchdowns last week against the Falcons on the ground. And Eckler has three touchdowns and ran for 60 yards last week against the Texans. Second, I want us to target Amari Cooper. After week Good one luck. against the Panthers, I wanted to see the Browns target Cooper much more, which they did against the Jets and Steelers. Then he disappeared again against the Falcons with only one catch for nine yards. The Browns have to find a way to get the ball to their best receiver today. Last key for the game, take advantage of the Chargers' injuries. Get penetration on the D-line with Rashawn Slater on the IR. Offer good protection with Joey Bosa on IR. And don't let Mike Williams beat you consistently in this game with Keenan Allen rolled out. No, I think those are great points. I think that Amari Cooper is actually a bigger point than a lot of people are giving him credit for. My points... Number one, unleash the two-headed beast. Look, we we have not one, but two great running backs on our team. And we don't know how long that we'll have both of these guys. Uh, Number one, healthy. Number two, uh, just on the team in general, we got to see the run. The Chargers are not super effective at stopping the run. So I feel like that's a pretty simple key to win. Uh, My second point is play hard the whole way through. We can't keep letting games get close in the fourth. When the fourth quarter hits, I say that is the time to play your hardest. It's it's the fourth quarter. Whether you're up, whether you're down, it's time to leave everything you got 
on the field. My biggest thing, if you're a DB, if you're a safety, nothing behind you. It's simple for middle school. It's simple for high school, college, NFL. Don't let anything get behind you. It wasn't simple for that Jets game. It's not simple for any game, apparently, Jake. Yeah, because true. at the end of the day, we're always letting somebody behind us. So you got to play hard the whole way through. And my third point, Devin, I agree, Miles Garrett. Literally our only consistent defensive player. Uh, when he's getting triple teamed, our only consistent defensive player. You know that this team is going to pass the ball a lot, even though I think they will be running more than people give them credit for, Jake. I agree with you there. But if we can stop Herbert in any way, whether that's apply pressure, whether get a sack, we're going to need that in today's game. Yeah, I mean, I think Jeremiah Uzu-Koromo has also been pretty consistent. I know he's been dealing with some injuries this year, but he's been consistent for the defense. It's really just our secondary and our DBs and cornerbacks. I mean, they need to tighten up, like you said, play in front of the ball. Don't let anybody behind them. I think that's a really good point. And I really expect the Chargers to run the ball a lot. You know, Justin Herbert's clearly still dealing with that rib injury. It's going to limit him, but I still think he's going to make some good throws when he needs to. I expect Mike Williams to go off, but I really expect them to use Austin Eckler to his full potential. We saw him break out last week against the Texans for three touchdowns. I think that needs to be an emphasis for the Browns. No, yeah, I think that's a good point. Devin, you got anything else to add? Uh, No, not really. I would just agree with what Jake said. All right, let's get in to some over-under here for today's game. I basically just took some player stats from this season alone, and I averaged them out. So, number one, Justin Herbert, over-under 300 yards passing. I'm going to go with under on that because I think they're going to run the ball more. I do think Mike Williams is going to have a big day, but I don't think I don't see Herbert throwing over 300. Man, if it was 250 or 275, I would easily say over, but 300 is a tough one. I expect the Chargers to score a lot of points today, but I expect a lot of those points to be scored by Austin Eckler, but even that could come through the air as well. I'm going to say over, but I'm not confident. I'm going to take the over here as well. Herbert has been putting up more over 300 recently, so I expect him to be able to do that, at least for the Browns. Next one, Nick Chubb, over under 114 rushing yards. This one's kind of a hard one for me. I'm going to go over because I think I think the Browns are going to utilize Chubb a lot today. Yeah, over. Nick Chubb's a dog. He's going to get the rushing yards. He's going to get a touchdown, maybe two today, and I expect him to take the lead in both NFL rushing yards and potentially NFL touchdowns after today. Yeah, you know, I want to see more passing today than we usually would, but with that being said, I'm still going to take the over on Nick Chubb. Jacoby Brissett, over under 207 passing yards. What was the number? 207. 207. Very specific. I'm going to say over. We're going to need to score points today against the Chargers, and I think that's going to come through through the air. He needs to target David Njoku. He needs to target Amari Cooper. He's established a link with Donovan Peoples-Jones this season as well. I see him throwing over that number. Yeah, I, I think he's going to go over for that as well. I'm going over as well. Next up, another hard one for me, Amari Cooper over under eight targets. Eight targets? Mm-hmm. So not catches. Targets. Targets. 
I really think they should make an emphasis of Amari Cooper today. Are they going to do that? That remains to be seen. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go over on that because I don't, I don't think he's necessarily going to have the catches, but I think he's going to get targeted. Yeah, I'm going to go with the over as well. I think that if they're going to target any receiver, I hope it is Amari Cooper. So I'll go over eight. Kale Mack, over under two sacks. I'm going to go under. I feel like one, maybe one, one and a half sacks could make sense for him, but I'm going to go with under. I trust our offensive line. I think we're going to be running the ball a lot, having a security guard right in front of Jacoby Brissett a lot of the times as well. I like the under. Yeah, I like the under as well. I think the offensive line is going to uh, play well. I'm thinking maybe one, one and a half, like you said, Jake. I also like the under, and I 100% agree with what you guys are saying. Miles Garrett over under two sacks. I'm going to go with the under as well. I think he could get to two, but I like one, maybe one and a half. He also has Jadavion Clowney. I could see Jadavion Clowney getting a sack or two, but I do like the under, especially with it being his first game back from that gruesome car accident. Who knows how he's going to be both physically and mentally out there. Yeah, I'm going to go with the under. I don't think we necessarily know how ready he is to go, so I'm going to go under on that. I'm going to agree with you guys. I'm going with the under as well. Katie York over under two field goals made. I like the over. I mean, this team has been good at finding the end zone this season with our running backs, but I do trust Cade York. We're back at home. That gives me some concern with the win. I know he hasn't played very well in Cleveland, but I do think he's going to bounce back in our home stadium today. I like the over two field goals. Yeah, I'm thinking over two field goals. I'm going to go with the under, and it's not because... Uh, anything against Cade York. If I had to have a fourth key to win, it would be scoring the red zone. Uh, so I want us to actually be getting touchdowns in the red zone. Um, so I'm going to go with the under there. Last one, John Johnson over under four solo tackles. I'm going to say over. I expect him to be in a lot of plays. I expect him to get to the ball and get some tackles today. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm going to go over on that. I'm going to go with the under here, uh, and it's pretty close for me, but I think that Herbert does a good job of spreading the ball all around the field, so I don't know how many actual opportunities he will have there. Guys, it's time to get to our pick-ems, where we're going to predict all the games, starting off with the Miami Dolphins taking on the New York Jets. This is a tough one because Tua's not playing, right? I think he's out. He's out. Oh, he's yeah. out. So yeah. hopefully for a minute. Right? I'm thinking it's a while. Yeah, that's he's what I was. Out. That's what I was saying. I was like, there's <laughs> no way that he's playing this game. No, yeah. <laughs> I think it. I think it's going to be close, but I think is. I think it's going to be a shock for the Dolphins, but I think the Jets are going to win it. Jake. Yeah, I expect this game to be competitive. I do trust Bridgewater more, though. The Dolphins, even though two is out, I think Bridgewater is a viable option at quarterback. Plus, they still have. One of the best, if not the best, wide receiver duo in the league in Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. I think the Dolphins are faster, more explosive, and just a better overall team. I like the Dolphins on the road against the Jets. I also like the Dolphins in this one. Going on to the next game, Tennessee Titans at Washington Commanders. Devin, who do you have? I think the Titans are going to win that one. Yeah, the Titans showed out last week, and the Commanders... I have put way too much faith in the Commanders. They're 1-3. and three. I think I've picked them to win maybe two, if not three games this year. They've always let me down. 
I have faith in Carson Wentz. I think he could work out for the Commanders, but they haven't shown it recently. I like the Titans running the ball well and just scoring more points than the Commanders today. I'm going with the upset here. I'm going Commanders. I don't necessarily think that they are the better team. I think the Titans are the way better team, but I'm hoping that the on-field or yeah, the at-home advantage plus how they have been able to play. They've just lost in some pretty close games. So I'm going to give it to the Commanders here. Pittsburgh Steelers at Buffalo Bills. Devin, who do you have? It's going to be a rough day to be a Steelers fan. I'm picking mm-hmm. Buffalo. Yeah, Bills by a million. I really don't expect this game to be close. They put Kenny Pickett in way too early. Yikes. Pick. It, yeah, he threw some picks last week. I expect him to throw more today against the Bills. The Bills are one of the best teams in the AFC. I think they're going to have a field day against the Steelers. You say Bills by a million. I'll say Bills by a billion. Just go a little alliteration. <laughs> I think you've said that before on these airwaves, too. Have I really? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. It's I'm, a go-to Alex Henry. I'll never say it again. <laughs> I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills here, though. Next up, we got the Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Devin, who do you have? I have Tampa Bay. I think they're going to bounce back after last week. Yeah, I don't think this one's going to be really close either. I like the Buccaneers bouncing back. They had that rough loss to the Chiefs. The Falcons are coming off the win against the Browns, but... Overall, I think the Falcons should have lost that game. I think the Browns could have made some adjustments. They played a rough fourth quarter. I think the Buccaneers are more talented. Yeah, I'm going to take the Buccaneers here. This is Tom Brady's revenge game. I won't say anything more, but this is his revenge game here. So I'm expecting a big game out of uh, the Buccaneers today. Seattle Seahawks at New Orleans Saints. Who do you have, Devin? I got Seattle winning this one. I think it's going to be close, though. Yeah, the Saints are still injured. They're without Jameis Winston mm-hmm. and Michael Thomas today. Alvin Kamara will suit up, but I don't think that makes a huge difference in this game. I'm going to ride with the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, and the Seahawks have looked pretty good. Geno well. Smith, man. Balling. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Not me. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks as well in this one. Devin, Houston Texans at Jacksonville Jaguars. Who do you have? I like the Texans getting their first win of the year. I don't I don't think that Jacksonville is going to go above 500. Interesting. That shocks me. I think we're at a point right now where the Jaguars can be considered one of the top teams in the AFC. I was I listening to a show that I wasn't on a few weeks ago when the Jaguars played the Chargers and everybody up here was like Chargers are going to have a field day against the Jaguars, and we saw how that played out. I'm really high on the Jaguars. I think they figured it out. I think they have the right fit at head coach. Trevor Lawrence has been playing well. I like the Jaguars by a touchdown, maybe even two today against the Texans. No, I also really like the Jaguars here. Devin, Houston getting their first win? Yeah. I th- Why? Just because? I think not? I think it has to be against Away? Jacksonville. I, I don't know. I just think it. All right, fair enough. Next game, Chicago Bears at Minnesota Vikings. Who do you have, Devin? Minnesota's winning this one, I think. Jake? Yeah, I have Minnesota as well. They're 3-1. and one. They bounce back from that Monday night football loss to the Eagles. I think the Vikings still have a shot at their division, especially with the Packers' loss today, and I expect them to beat up the Bears today. Yeah, you know, while the Bears haven't looked awful, the Vikings have looked really, really good, so I'm going to have to take Minnesota in this one as well. The Detroit Lions taking on the New England Patriots. Devin, who do you have? I like Jared Goff this season. I think he's playing I do re- too. really well so far. Um, I think they're gonna. I think Detroit's gonna beat New England. I think it might be close, but I think Jared Goff is gonna throw for over three hundred yards. 
I heard a stat out there that the Lions have the worst defense this year. Yeah. But the worst defense in NFL history, even with that 17th game in consideration, the Lions defense is playing that bad. But the Patriots are obviously starting Bailey Zappi. I don't expect them to play well. I do like the Lions on the road. Yeah, it's really funny because I think this Lions offense is one of the best offenses in the league, but their defense is so bad. And for that reason alone, I'm going to take the Patriots in the win here at home. Next up, we got the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Carolina Panthers. Devin? This one's a tough one, but I think I'm going to go with San Fran over Carolina. Baker has looked terrible for the Panthers this year. Thanks for that, Devin. You're welcome. Yeah, I... I don't have much to add. I think the 49ers defense is going to eat up the Panthers offense. I don't see the Panthers winning at home. I'll go with the 49ers. Yeah, I'm going to go with the 49ers as well. Uh, Their defense has looked really good. uh, And as for the Panthers offense, they have the quarterback with the worst uh, QBR in the league. He's terrible. Uh, He was actually ranked 33rd. Uh, in the league in quarterbacks, and there's 32 quarterbacks or 32 teams in the league. So, uh, just based off that alone, I I gotta pick the 49ers here. I just took like a 30 Draft second nap. What, what, what were you guys talking about? I didn't hear it. I don't want to repeat it. Okay, okay. So we can move Baker's on. A bust. Hey, we can move on, man. I think <laughs> Eagles and Cardinals is next. Yeah, Eagles at Cardinals. Devin, who do you have? Um, I think. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to get to five and zero, but I think it's going to be an interesting game because both uh, Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts are very uh, similar quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. I think this game is going to be very, very competitive, but I do like the Eagles improving to five and zero. I think Jalen Hurts is everything that Kyler Murray wants to be, just because Kyler Murray is just very inconsistent. Kyler Murray. I think has more talent than Jalen Hurts, but like I said, the inconsistency is there. I like the Eagles on the road. Yeah, I also like the Eagles here. One of my favorite offenses in the league, Dallas Cowboys at Los Angeles Rams. Devin? Uh, I'm going to go with the Rams on this one. Interesting. Yeah, the Rams, I think they've had kind of a disappointing start to the year. They're sitting at 2-2. Two and two. I mean, a lot of teams right now are sitting at 2-2. Two and two, But as the reigning defending Super Bowl champions, I expected a little bit more out of them. I see a little bit more out of them today than the Cowboys. I like the Rams at home. I'm going to take the Cowboys here. Uh, I just... My only real basis off this argument is I haven't seen anything from the Rams that tells me that they can beat the Cowboys this season. So with that being said, I'm going to take the Cowboys here. Uh, Really hard game for me to pick here. Cincinnati Bengals at Baltimore Ravens. Who do you take, Devin? I'm taking the Ravens, and I'm only taking the Ravens because of the home team here. I think I think they're they're yeah, it's a fair point. That's the only reason I can take Baltimore here. I think they're both very similar, but I think Baltimore will take it because of the home team. I'm not confident in that pick, though. I love that this game is Sunday night football, and I hate to break it to you, Devin, but the Ravens have not played well at home this season. They're blowing leads left and right. I don't know who to pick. This is a really flip. It's a, toss like, it's a coin toss to me, but I'm going to go with the Bengals on the road. I'm concerned about the Ravens' defense and how well they'll play, especially last week after the whole argument there. Uh, but I do like the Bengals on the road. Yeah, I don't like the Ravens versus the Baltimore. Or, I don't like the Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I, I do think that they might be a better team, but I overall, I'm going to pick my bu- my boy, Joe, Sy- Joe Shiesty. I can't talk. Say Joe Burr. Joe Burr. Nah, there you go. <laughs> I'll take Joe Burr here. <laughs> Guys, 
Las Vegas Raiders at Kansas City Chiefs. One of the greatest rivalries in the NFL. Yeah, it's going to be the Chiefs, I think. Yeah, one of our most important picks for our NFL pickums on Twitter at WZIP Sports. Play well. I'm terrible. I'm playing terrible in these pickums. I'm one in seven, Alex. I'm sorry. I'm one in seven. I'm hoping to make up some ground this week. I'm going to go with the Chiefs at home. I know the Raiders play the Chiefs very well, but it's going to be at Arrowhead Stadium. The Raiders are one and three. Your Raiders, Alex, are one and three. I like the Chiefs. They played very well this season. They're coming off of a dominant win against the Buccaneers. I'm going with KC. I'm taking the Raiders because I'm a Raiders fan. Uh, (laughs) uh, Los Angeles Chargers about to kick off first to Cleveland Browns. Devin, who's winning? I'm taking the Chargers. I can't see the Browns winning this game, especially with how they've played. I can't. I can't take them. I don't know. I... They haven't played well in the fourth quarter. Why wouldn't they lose today, too? No, yeah, I agree. Jake, who do you have winning this game? Yeah, I agree with Devin. I'm actually surprised by how many people up here voted on the Browns instead of the Chargers for the NFL Pickums. But I'm going to go with the Chargers here. I just think they're way more talented on offense. I think we'll be able to run the ball against the Chargers defense. But the Browns defense has been suspect all year long. I think a lot of points are going to be scored. But I like the Chargers using their run game and the Chargers through the air. I'm going to take the Chargers by 10 today against the Browns. Yeah, this is a big game for the Browns, but I am going to take the Browns in this one. It's a hard pick. Guys, it was a good show. Any final thoughts before we get off the air? Hopefully my NFL pickums correct themselves and go Guardians this week against the Yankees. Next week on Sunday, when we're on the air for Sports Power Talk, the picture will be much clearer in the ALDS. Yeah, I want to say you know, thank you guys for listening, obviously. Good luck to both of our Cleveland teams this week. Uh, one's getting ready for kickoff right now, and the other will enter into the playoffs. And then, guys, get ready because entertainment is back here on WZIP. So don't go anywhere for that. But today on Sports Power Talk, I was Alex Henry, and I was with Devin Lucas and Jake Murrin. And we are signing off. Tune in every Sunday, 11 to 1, for more Sports Power Talk.